Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE master technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. You're already here. Alrighty. I'm good. <laughs> What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is Leslie Dowgs. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. How about you? Really well. It's nice to have another soccer player on the show. I tend to uh, love my soccer players here. I definitely love soccer, that's for sure, and support those soccer players as well. How old were you when you first kicked a ball? I played a little bit as a kid, but it wasn't so much of a passion as, as as when I was an adult. So I've enjoyed it since I've been an adult. Yeah, I'm not going to say names, but I've, I've talked to a few people that played against you. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they say you're intense, and I, li- I like that. That would, that would describe me. Yeah, so they weren't wrong. Okay, awesome. I'm a jokester on the field. I like to laugh at everything and... Well, I like to have fun as well, but I, I've been known um, on the soccer field as my few of my jerseys have the word the tank on it. Nice, because <laughs> I just kind of go full stream and knock everything down ahead of me. So you don't look up; you just go well head down and I, go. I'm a lot better now, but I mean, I guess they called me the tank because I did that. But all right, get that mic <laughs> a little bit closer okay. to you. 
Um, yeah, I don't get paid to, enough to play defense. That's what people say about me. Oh, I would rather do defense any day. It's kind of easier to destroy than create. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes there's a, there's a lot of love for destroying stuff. I think too hard when you're um, playing that forward and ready to shoot and always miss it. So See, that's the mentality you got to get away from. When I was coaching, too, I was it was never shooting practice. It was scoring practice. So you wrap your head about it around it as the positive, I'm going to get the ball and score. I'm not going to get the ball and shoot. See, and my my thought is, hey, that ball's not going to score on me. So that's a great exactly. mindset for me. The ball or the person, right? <laughs> I'm going to Prefer- get one of them. Preferably the ball, the ball. <laughs> hey, sh- shout out to the Wright brothers out at, um, oh, they changed their name there at Pendergast Park. It's Is it still Olympic? Soccer, Olympic Sports Center? Or soccer center, OSC. Oh, yeah. But didn't they name it something Peninsula? Maybe that's just oh, the adult team. yes. The Olympic Peninsula Sports soccer Zone or center. center. I think it's the Olympic Sports Center. Yes, yeah. you are correct. Get out there by Auto Mall and uh, support the Wright Brothers. Play some softball. Play some indoor soccer. Trying to get some money out there to redo the drainage on the dirt fields and, and make them real soccer fields. Yes. Make it be the starfire of the peninsula. My hope, my hope. Do you, you live in Bremerton? I do. All your life, yeah? I was born and raised in Kitsap County, um, born and raised in Bremerton. My dad retired uh, Navy and Keyport here, so Bremerton's been my home. When you were growing up, was there a large Filipino community? Um, there was a large Filipino community when we were growing up, Um Probably not so much now. Yeah. It's a lot more grown this now than when I was a kid. Yeah, it's kind of uh, lore history here on the island as well. It's There's a lot of, um, you know, there's just not much race equity out here. And, you know, we have the F- Filipino Community Hall here, and we have the Bainbridge Historical District. And there's definitely a presence of a period of time where this was... A strong Filipino com- community, but now you know there's, I don't know, 800 people of color or something like that. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Out of tw- almost 25,000 people here on the island. Yeah, Bainbridge Island. Um, their Bainbridge Island Filipino community is very active and been around for a long time, and they participate in your annual Strawberry Festival. Yeah. So it's and they've a got a great, great piece of property on, up on the road here near yeah, high, high school road. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. went for a bat mitzvah there recently. Shout out to Logan, you're all grown, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that uh, park there. They used to have a BITV out right next to there too. Oh, no kidding! But then that was that was when I first got here about ten years ago, and the city council was underfunded, and they decided to take that off the table, and then they were going to go reclaim a bunch of this type of technology and uh, sell it to make balance the budget and then they got there and there was no tv equipment and stuff like that that was a big to do and then they spent money um trying to track that down and well because they aren't they televising their shows so they have to find someone to do it now contract it in well city council this is kind of something different it was kind of a oh okay uh pbs type you know everybody gets a chance to put something on on kind of like the bcat yeah so that bcat i think does uh, and that's uh, Bremerton... Kitsap Access Television. There you go. I think they are the ones that provide this daily or the weekly city council stream. Okay. Yeah. 
because I wanted to get in on some council action. Give me some government money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in, in Bremerton, um, what was it like as a, as a child? And I want to get to what is it like now and, and what kind of change have you seen in your lifetime in Bremerton? Well, um, growing up in Bremerton, I used to be part of that cruising the downtown Bremerton area, um, driving down, and, and it's kind of nice to see some of the changes where we're going. Um, I used to be, as a kid, um, used to just wander around all over Bremerton and the areas and never thought a second chance about it. And um, and I still feel the same way. I think our kids are still pretty safe. Like I like our area. I love our area, in fact. And um, I just see some drastic changes from downtown used to be the shopping hub, right? And then Silverdale opened, and then it became the ghost town. And now it's becoming, uh, downtown Bremerton is becoming the arts and restaurant yeah. kind of place to hang out and theaters. and Bremerton Theater is really well accomplished, right? Well, we've got the Admiral and the Roxy, and then we've got a few great things coming on in the downtown area. Um where I represent the district for city council is the Wheaton Way corridor. And that area is becoming more uh, vibrant. It used to be dying because a lot of the box stores moved out and then you have empty strip malls. And so um, I ran in city council because of that particular area dying out. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't have an area that was going to be neglected and so I ran so I can get some development going in that particular area. And, and I'm kind of excited about some of the process and the, and the things we've done for that area. What are some of the things that have grown out of that? So um, it's amazing when you look at city codes, uh, the particular area used to have a thousand feet setback and you couldn't build anything from a thousand feet from the road. And then grandfathered in was drive throughs So that means you couldn't build anything with drive throughs which eliminated restaurants and banks and Starbucks. And um, we looked at the code and we altered the code a little bit. So now um, business can build closer to the street um, and more drive throughs are out of there. So we got like McDonald's rebuilt their whole building ground up two drive throughs um, Dutch Brothers has um, two drive throughs and those wouldn't have happened if we didn't look at our city codes to develop the Wheaton Way Corridor. What is, I'm not familiar with Dutch Brothers. Dutch Brothers is a uh, Oregon-based coffee uh, company that they usually just have drive throughs um, The one they have in Bremerton is the first with a seating area. And it's coffee, but it's more, more of the sweeter type flavors and... I'm not a coffee fan, so I couldn't describe it. <laughs> yeah, one one cup of black coffee every morning, that's about it. I like the smell. Not even it. every morning. I'm more of a matcha tea guy. Yeah, I'm a tea, but not coffee. I like the smell of coffee, but that's the extent of it. So mm -hmm. It's weird. Like I hate the smell of cigarettes, but I don't mind pipe smoke for whatever reason. Yeah, I guess it's not so bad. It doesn't... Yeah, I've, I I agree with you. Yeah. I like I think the pipe smell versus cigarettes. Yes, yeah, nasty. <laughs> when I was growing up as a kid, though, the, the more distinguished gentleman always had the pipe and the smoking jacket in the <laughs> evening. And it was kind of like, a, you know how you you associate things, good smells or, or, or music with a good time yep. in your life and stuff like that. So maybe that has something to do with it. So uh, does cigars give you uh, memories of good times? <laughs> no. Um you know, Cuba opened up 
more um, opportunity for Americans to come over there. And some friends went there and brought back some Cuban cigars. And I was kind of stoked to, to have one. And I was like, got all this beef from my kid. <laughs> and then I had a couple of puffs. And I was like, this is horrible. Because <laughs> there was this allure that Cuban cigars were so precious because they were so difficult to get. And then all of a sudden, you know. It wasn't all that great, huh? No. It's it's kind of like the chase, right? Sometimes the chase is better than actually catching something. That is true. the The adventure versus the you know the experience versus the actual product of it. Yeah, you've been on this adventure for twenty plus years, right? Which adventure are we referring the to? The political realm. Uh, the... I've been I've been very involved politically. Yes. Um, what made I would you like say twenty years? Maybe. What made you uh, decide that you like politics? Um, I. The the reason I love politics politics is I've always um, had a passion for people um, as far as not having their voice and people don't speak up as much and I love the idea of being able to be a voice for people um, speaking up for injustice um, you know like my district. I ran for city council because it was dying and being neglected, and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be a desolate area. And so I ran for that, and I've always helped on campaigns. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm going to run, and I've enjoyed the ride. I'm on my fourth term on city council, and it's been a wow. great experience. Wow, four terms. Yeah. I don't think anybody could last four terms on the council here on Bamber Island. <laughs> I am not going to comment on that one. <laughs> well, here I'll, I'll throw it to you another way. As a as a person that lives in Bremerton, looking at this council from afar, do you, does the information or the news reach that far to Bremerton about Bainbridge Island and the oh, yeah. council difficulties? Oh yeah, um, being on a city council, we always look at other, other councils? city councils um, and. We always kind of tease each other because we see each other at committee meetings um, mm-hmm. throughout the county. And we always teach each other, oh, we're not in the news this time. It's you guys this time. And so we always kind of joke around that, oh, it's not us this time. Good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Like I, I remember one thing in the Bremerton Council being in the news. But recently, you know, with ethics issues and the critical area ordinance here on Bainbridge Island, that, that council has been in the news a lot. Way too much. I could just go on and on. Yes, <laughs> and, they have. And so is Paul's bow um, with Stony. And the one thing that I remember about Bremerton Council was something about you getting, oh. getting locked up for yelling at Jeff Sessions. And I was just like, I need to meet this lady. I think she's my hero. Yes. Tell I... everybody what happened there. So I was in D.C. when uh, Betty DeVos and Jeff Session was being appointed, and I was like, had some free time. So I thought, I'm going to go head up to the Hill. I'm going to go observe some of these appointment hearings. Um, Interesting enough, I was there like 8 a.m., and the line went around the entire building just to get in. And as, as people were leaving appointment seatings, then people would go in, and they said that the the appointment hearings were going to end at 2 o'clock. And I'm like, okay, so I'm still in line. And then about 1.15, I get this privilege of joining in and sitting in there. And, and I'm sitting there, and they're talking about Jeff Sessions, how he's a great guy. He's going to be do great things for our community. And I'm sitting there, okay. And then a lady to my left stands up, raises a sign, and says nothing, but says the sign says liar. 
she got arrested, removed, and the charge was disruption of Congress. And so I'm like, okay, wow. Then these two gentlemen loved what they were hearing. They were fist pumping each other, high fiving, and then yay, yay, yay. And then I'm like, all right, we have a lady that was arrested, these two gentlemen that's obviously disrupting Congress. I said, this is bullshit. Should I say that on here? <laughs> Just did. Say it with conviction. So this is bullshit. There you and go. then I got pulled out, I got arrested. And little did it, if anyone is out there, if you get arrested on campus, the charges are way different than if you're inside a federal building. And so if you were arrested on campus, you were released that day with information and a ticket. If you were arrested on in federal building, you are handcuffed out of there, um, patted down, all your personal items removed, immediately driven in a paddy wagon, that's the old term, I'm not sure what they call it now, handcuffed, taken to jail. Um, processed. Processed, fingerprinted. Um, I sat there for four hours, handcuffed to the wall, which was interesting. I'm like, well, can I make a phone call? And they said, no, not yet. And I'm like, really? I don't get to make a phone call? And so I did sit there for four hours. And I, mind you, I wasn't wearing anything that said I'm a city council member, but my, you're on your own time, right? Yeah. In my purse, I had my business cards and my name tag. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm just a city council from Bremerton. Nobody's going to know anything about me. And then next thing you know it, so I'm in jail. Four hours later, they release me under a ticket saying you have to make appearance in court. And I'm like, okay. And so then I'm thinking, no big deal. I'm released. I. It's interesting. I had um, Converse shoes, and they're quite the non-supportive shoes you take the shoelaces off and they just flop mm -hmm. and so i was released with all my belongings a cold day in february and my coat still in a plastic bag my shoelaces still in a plastic bag so i had to sit on the sidewalk to get myself back in composure to even walk anywhere and so then i took the subway back to my hotel and i'm like oh my gosh i got arrested and next you know it it's like hitting nationwide news and i'm like oh my god mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so interesting enough 10 times back to dc for court appearances 10 times yeah why is it this just taken care of as a ticket the first time you showed up well i felt i was not guilty because oh you fought it yes i felt i was not guilty because the two guys didn't get arrested the lady didn't speak she got arrested and then i did too as well and so i said not guilty and so I had to go back 10 times, you know, I had to go one time to tell the judge not guilty. They sent me a date. My very last court appearance, I then had to do, um, I had to call in the courthouse every day. Otherwise, I would have been in contempt of court if I missed a call in. And I'm like, what the heck? My that sounds severe. It It is. And my lawyer said, well, can't you do it once a week? And he go, she goes, the judge goes, no, she can do daily phone calls. And so I literally set my alarm to dial DC because, you know, it's a three-hour difference. And um, so to dial DC every day so I wouldn't be in contempt of court. And then um, so I followed through, did everything they wanted. And then I would say, what, 10 months later, they finally dropped my charges. How it, much did the whole thing cost you? Do you have any idea? I would say it's about 10, with air flight, hotels, and going back and forth, and our lawyer about 10000 plus. Hmm. 
Yeah. A little less than an investigation of an ethics charge by city council here. Very, very little money. Um, I find it totally interesting, though, that if a young individual in the ages of 20 to 30 and they wanted to speak up for injustice and they're making ends meet paycheck to paycheck, um, I think our system is not friendly for that because too many times I was financially capable of going back to D.C., paying for a lawyer and all the trips back. Mm -hmm. But if it was someone in the 20s, that person probably would have been in contempt of court, possibly been in jail, had court fines. And leaving that person in debt or in jail, and it's disheartening to see that if somebody in the young ages that's not financially stable, that they... That might be a lifetime move. Yeah. yeah. Completely. And affect their future financial situation. Well, they're not going to drive income while being incarcerated, and there's going to be interest on the debt. Yep, you know, exactly. And then when they come out, it's a big slap of, hey, you're unemployable. Yep. I mean... Speak up again. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just to pay for the airfare for yeah. 10 times is, is, is a challenge for anyone. So you're suggesting only protest near your own home. <laughs> well, no, I, I firmly believe... If you see injustice, speak up, mm -hmm. but just be aware it's not cheap. <laughs> no, it is not. So freedom of speech is not free, by the way. No, never was. So speaking of paying for things, I hear you um, had quite a few kids. How did you pay for all those kids? Well, okay, I have three of my own children, that's and then I had more than me. And then I had fifty-five foster children. So um, the the one thing that helped on that is I didn't work, so we I could be home for the kids. Um, but they were foster kids, so they were you know property. And I don't want to say it in this way, but they their funding source was from the state. Mm. They received health care or um, clothing vouchers or anything that they needed from the state. Um, and so we, had, yeah, we had fifty-five foster kids. Um, we used to do we used I, to starting a soccer league. How how many people at one time did you have in your house? One 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 Christmas, our house was big enough to have ten youth in our home because we had um, we can do respite for foster parents when they go away. And, and so, tell one, me what that is. Respite is when a foster parent wants to take a break from being a foster parent and they want to take a vacation. For a weekend or a real week. Real parents don't get that. No, 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 no. But, I didn't mean real parents. I mean, that was but poorly worded. On the, well, I guess on the other part, you guys, uh, real parents have, you know, a grandmother or an auntie that mm. they can rely on or a babysitter where foster kids don't usually have a grandmother or a mother or an auntie that they can rely on and go back to. Right. And so the foster homes, parents were always a... Uh, resource for each other, especially if you did the same kind of age group. And so we did the teen boys because no one wanted teen boys. And so we had 12 foster kids one year and our three, 15, and then two of us, 17, one Christmas. And it was one of those heavy snowed Christmas. So it was a fun holiday because mm -hmm. we got to be snowed in. We got to experience the snow and the house was cram packed full with people. And it was, it was a great experience. It was fun. Actually, I, I I find those were, were some rewarding time periods. That's so awesome. What made you decide that? And then secondly, I want to get into meal prep. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, well, what made me decide it is um, I used to be a youth advocate for our homeless youth. Um, at the time period, we had a heavy homeless youth population. I'm not saying we don't now. We still do. Um, but with that in mind, there was no homes for teen boys. And so we decided that we needed to do this. It was an underserved demographic. It's a it's an age group that nobody wants. They want the babies and the toddlers. And my thought is if a baby's being neglected, I would probably break the law and take that child to Canada. But if it's a teenager, that teenager is a little bit more um, able to speak up, not mm-hmm. able to get be a victim as much. And so we took in the teenagers, and our goal was short-term to finalize their stabilization, whether it be going back home, um, another foster home. So ours was short-term, but short-term meant three months to four years. <laughs> we had kids <laughs> We had kids for four years. So, I mean, and so there was a need, and we had a home, and we decided we needed to do this, and we did it. And the last group of kids we did, we found out siblings were separated um, because not very many homes can house three siblings in one time. And so siblings got separated in various homes, and then we decided to do sibling groups so we can keep them all together. Are you still fostering? Are you an empty nester now? Or? We are an empty nester. Um, let me let me hear how that affects you mentally and heartfelt, and and that because my kid's twelve, and I'm like every day I'm like oh, I only got six years until he's gone, and I'm like, what am I going to do without him? You know, he's not going to need me. I need to teach him independence. This is so important for him. Oh God, I'm going to miss him. <laughs> But imagine going through that, you know, 55 times, 58 times. Well, we had, you know, and that's the one thing when we, when you're a foster parent, you put boundaries up, right? You Ah. try not to get too attached. Emotionally attached. Yep. Um, So you don't name the kids. Well, they have names. Yes, (laughs) they have names. But you don't get to that, you know, I love you feeling, Mm. right? Um, But there were some sibling groups that we started to look into adopting four of them. Um, they were siblings, and the judge said that the parent was going to get them back. Um, and so our heart then became open. Our heart became open. And um, and with that, then we started building that relationship with the four kids. And then the judge, the mom was clean and sober, got the kids back, and that kind of tore our hearts. And so that was the last time we did foster care. Um, we hear back from the 55 kids, about five of them. So that's not bad. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a rewarding experience, but, um, empty nester, we've had kids since we, and I say me, myself, my husband, um, have had kids since we've been together and we haven't had kids probably within the last 10 years now. And we, we truly enjoy it. Because it's the house stays cleaner, (laughs) (laughs) less people to blame. Well, there's, you know, our schedule is we don't have to be home at eight to get dinner done or we don't have to drive kids to sporting events. So, I mean, our time is our time and we just kind of fill it up. And then hence the love of politics. So I filled my life with politics and and fill up my time with that. But I we love being empty nesters and I always crack up when families laugh, I mean, cry, because I'm like, oh, are you serious? This is the best time. So we've enjoyed it immensely. I have friends like that. I don't think I'm going to be that guy, though. I really don't. I don't have that type of skill set. <laughs> Tell me how you fed all these kids. 
So that wasn't interesting. I didn't work. And in order to do what we did, one of us had to be home at all times. So, um, was there any allergies and like nut allergies or dairy? On that part, we didn't have any food restrictions or allergies. So that was kind of good. Um, but we would go through like 10 loaves of bread in a, in a week, um, four gallons of milk in a week. So, I mean, we, Definitely visited the grocery store a lot, and Costco was our best friend at the time. Mm. But we just we just cooked mass meals, you know, spaghetti and lasagna, and um, always made you know time to cook. And everybody was home, and it was it was. And now to this day, of two people, I find it hard to cook small portions. <laughs> My chili is still lasts for like three or four days, so. Yeah, it's hard to do. Yeah, I'm the same way. I want to cook for a crowd, not yeah. just two. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when you're cooking for eight, ten people, and now you have to cook to two, it's definitely a culture shock as far as how to do that again. But um, it it was kind of fun. It's just, you know, you build that routine, and you just kind of figure out how to do it and um, do it frugally, and making it home was the best way to do it. And that was the, you know, it's just... You know, you just use a lot of bread and rice and things to fill them up. <laughs> Fillers. <laughs> yep, exactly. Like Taco Bell uses. Yep. Um, how, I don't know where I want to go with this, but I, so I'm going to stop. Um, tell me some of the programs that you, you work with uh, outside of council. Um, you're into military justice, low-income housing, growth. You're set on different um, committees like Kids Up Transit and and such. Tell me about some of that work. So I sit currently on Kids Up Regional Coordinating Council. Um, I sit on Kids Up Transit, uh, Kids Up CENCOM nine one one, Kids Up Community Resource Board, um, and a lot of it is my feeling is if we are not at the table, and I say either myself or the City of Bremerton, then we our voice isn't heard. Um, and so I wanted to be part of these organizations so that we can make sure that Bremerton has a say in the conversation. Um, I've sat on housing task force committees. Um, I've sat on in the committee in council right now. I'm audit chair, and I've sat on all the committees within our council. Um, but the interesting about city council, they say it's um, part time. But (laughs) I like your laugh. But if you're doing it right and you're doing all the things that you want to do to make your community a better place, it's a full time job. And Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that. And I joined these committees because I feel these are areas that we need to have a voice in. And I'm not a quiet person. So I'll make sure to have a voice of, you know, like if there's not a bus route that's happening that needs to be or um housing task force you know we have a big need for homelessness and affordable housing and it's just not Bremerton and but we have all the services so when you have the services you have the clients and so we've been fighting um, with our fellow jurisdictions to help offset those as well um, to help compensate because not all these residents are Bremerton residents they're Kitsap County residents and so that's the reason why we want to sit at the table is to make sure that, you know, Bremerton has a voice, that the people are having having a voice, and um, that we're getting services to Bremerton and to the residents in the area. Yeah, it's been struggling with, you know, shelter 
closing and uh, you know, the resources being far from Silverdale and, and Paulsbo to some extent. You guys do a great job of having the resource book to hand out to homeless people and then start pushing them in a direction of positivity. Um, how do you see that improving? You know, with Kitsap County growing, and we are unique in the fact that we offer 30-minute commutes to Seattle from a lot of our cities, Port Orchard, Bremerton, Bainbridge, Kingston, that gives Seattle lights an opportunity to come to an area and live inexpensively and commute to work for 30 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about driving on I-5 and it's an hour and a half. Oh, I know. We get a lot of that. So we're going to have growth. And with that, there's going to be pushing out communities and neighborhoods. The developers are buying property. I'm just concerned that as long as we don't push neighborhoods out and gentrification, um, I don't want to put policies in place that's going to make um, – more homelessness or people without homes because it's hard to find a priced uh, a home for our lower middle class families. Other than military, do you think there's enough industry out there to help somebody that may be homeless now in, in, into a transitional um, position of life? Well, you know, there's a lot of options going on that's helping individuals. Um, we have Kids Up Human Resources. We have Salvation Army. We have Kids Up Rescue Mission. We have the Pendleton Place, Kids Up Mental Health. A lot of resources are out there, but we also have to look at the individual, and sometimes that individual doesn't want the services, doesn't want the assistance. Right. But if they're willing to, there's services out there. And the unfortunate thing, it's not always easy to find those sources and those resources. How do you see... Um because when I when I go through Gorst and, and Bremerton and Kitsap Lake and, and stuff like that, I see a lot of vacant houses. How can we transition some of these vacant houses to transitional homing? Well, we have looked at our city codes regarding vacant homes so that it doesn't get um, inhabited by squatters. Uh, squatters. Yeah. And so we've looked at our codes and we've, if you're a property owner of a property, you have to have someone local that we can call. If there's been some broken windows, you have to keep your property, you know, maintained. Um, so we've put some codes in place on re- regarding of that. But the hard thing is, is when you have a personal property and it's a person's own property, we can't tell them what to build. We can't tell them how to build. We can't tell them to build 12 units for low-income housing. Um, We can offer incentives through the city, but we can't tell a personal property owner how to maintain or what to build on that property. Yeah, it's just a shame to see abandoned buildings with with no plan of growth, somebody just holding onto the land. Um, I don't know if this is right, and I don't fact-check anything, so don't hold me to the fire. (laughs) I'm just clickbait here. Is it true on Bainbridge Island and in Kitsap County that like if we're talking about affordable housing that I couldn't like rent my mother-in-law or ADU in Bremerton or Kitsap County Kitsap County in general so uh, you're talking about accessory dwelling units um, how do you say that accessory accessory dwelling units ADUs and those are like the garages that you renovated right. for grandma or aunties or your um, rock band yep. and you don't play the guitar anymore. or your best friend from college um, so we have opportunities in our city and the county to do those codes. 
But in the city of Bremerton, it's more of a challenge. Our code says that you have to live on that property six months of that year to be able to have an ADU. But if you're a property owner and you own a few properties, not likely you can live on five properties. If you're a Navy guy and you left your property, you're not living there for six months of that year. And so not likely are you going to be able to do that. So our our code restrictions are a little bit more restrictive. Um, But if there is opportunities for ADUs, this is an opportunity to increase housing units. Um, We have many ADUs, I can say, that are in our county and our city that aren't safe home places for individuals. Well, neither is being on the street. No, no. But our goal is we want individuals to live in a safe home, warm place, you know, a roof that doesn't leak, no rodents or critters living. With so much homeless, is that a realistic expectation that you we know, all live the same? With no, no, it's not. Insulated walls? And- no, it's not. And But I, I firmly believe that if you're going to be that property owner, then you should be responsible for that property and making sure that the dwelling unit is at least got running water. Her dwelling unit's got electricity hooked up to it, not a, a extension cord, you know. So we have a few of those that aren't up to code. And one of the things we are looking at is trying to, it's a challenge, trying to identify all the accessory dwelling units and try to make them all safe homes um, and running water and electricity. Um, So our goal is to try to do that. How we do that is going to be a challenge because we've been trying to get all the landlords that own them but not everybody's willing to step up and say, I own five ADUs. So yeah. we have a lot that's not in compliance. How, how do you see the growth in Bremerton and Silverdale, basically Kitsap County, over the next five, ten years? It's, um, I foresee, we've been growing in the last few years, especially since we've offered that fast ferry service. We're yeah, gro- people, we're, people like that. Yeah, we are growing and we're seeing a lot of Seattle lights. Um, with that, I'm excited, but then I'm also um, concerned for the families that's been here all their lives and now can't afford to live there or gentrifying any families out of the community. So That's a problem here, too. Yeah. People are getting priced off the island. Yep. I mean, I firmly believe you should be able to live and work in the same community, not leave, you know, Bainbridge Island to, to live somewhere cheaper. It puts a bigger carbon footprint on everybody. You know, how many people are driving on I-5 in a single vehicle car by themselves? Oh, my goodness. I know. You know, I, what's great about the island is I get a free ferry and then I can hit the, the no, I almost said monorail. That's how old I am. Uh, the link rail to the airport or other other things. And then there's the the e-bikes all over the city and buses and yep. There's a good infrastructure, and I love that 99 is coming down and that we're going to have a world-class waterfront. But it's not—the city's walkable, but out here, it's hard to connect people. And there's no link rail on Kitsap County to take you all the way to Tacoma or out to Boeing or anything like that. So how do we connect these neighborhoods? Are they always going to just be pods, and then there's going to be a commercial pod and a a rural pod and well you know i do know that like at the ferry terminal in the bremerton area um, mason county has buses there where you can pick up and drop off to go to kitsap county and then you can pick up and ride a bus to mason county so they meet at that terminal and they so it gives opportunity for 
you know, like connectivity. Yeah. yeah. So it changes and brings people into the area as well. Um, I know we're moving forward with our transit and opening up more transfer stations. We just got, we have to, and we're doing more as far as um, walkability and bike abilities, but we used to have a lot of works to do. I mean, our transit doesn't run on Sundays. So most do you see the STO trail, the sounded um, wilderness trail there on 305 off the Bainbridge Ferry ever extending? You know, that's interesting because um, any if anything's going to change, it's with your local government, right? Mm-hmm. And Bainbridge Island is an area where not very many people like change or big growth. And so it's I guess it's how opinionated and how your council is going to be voicing their opinions and moving focus on growth or staying status quo. So it's who you got elected in your office is going to affect Bainbridge Island. We need people to run for office. <laughs> that is so true. I mean, so true. So let's go back to, you know, it's a 14-hour work week for a congressperson. And then you're on three committees that are another, you know, four, six-hour drain. You know, when we started out with our first council meeting and it, it was like six hours. And it was frustrating for the people that were sitting on council. It's just another thing, another thing. And then it's difficult for us as a public to get our public comment in, in a a reasonable manner where it can be um, looked through and thought upon for a few weeks before the council acts. And sometimes it seems like public comment comes after the deal is done. And it's just putting on some type of a show to say that, yeah, we had public comment. And then there's times where the public comment is uh-huh, almost 100% one way. The council still does something different. So <laughs> it's difficult here. I know it's a different climate than the council that you sit on in Bremerton. But we have difficulties that you know are kind of un- unforeseen sometimes. It's, people think this is a very affluent white island, right? Well, we still have a super fun site with the Carissa Hote plant. We still have the pollution of the ferry and then the transition of getting the ferry to become electric and then have a charging station here on the island. We don't have a stormwater um, plan. We're constantly polluting the ocean with the runoff from the roads. We have similar sewage spills that Bremerton has had and Seattle has had, and that gets into pollution. We, We have issues here. I don't know where I'm going with this, but you got a got a group of area that all has very uniquely different problems but all contribute to bigger problems what do you, what can you do if you're elected to help bring everybody together so the whole county is more of a a close knit group than you know like we're here and i'm sure people have nicknames for Bainbridge Island right <laughs> I have nicknames for other boroughs, for less, lack of a better word. But, you know, I think a Silverdale is Consumerdale. All it is <laughs> to me is go shopping in these strip malls and the actual mall, one of the few that are still left. I don't know how we transition dying malls, you know, and box stores back into, you know, non-empty concrete jungles that continue to pollute with their stormwater and stuff. What What do you see your, your biggest... Um, attribute to bringing us all together for a common type goals like that, especially in transportation. 
Well, and I think a lot of that is looking at that creative developer, right? We have a developer in Bremerton that occupied the old Kmart. It sat empty for 10 plus years. Um, They were creative enough and our city was willing to work with them on codes and, and getting them in compliance. But the back of that big box store is storage units, and the very front of that big box store is broken down into Washington State Department of of Children and Health Services. And so we have um, a state department that's occupying the old empty Kmart building. Um, you got Harrison Hospital occupying an old empty box store and using it for admin for Harrison Hospital. So, I mean, I think we got to look and be creative and find those developers, those people with that creative mindset. Um, a good one in Silverdale is the Albertsons. They remodeled it, made it defy the, what is it, the trampoline jumping place? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's just finding that individual, that creative mind to change a big box store into something more modern and that's going to work with us. Yeah. Amazon shipping site, right? We have that. And <laughs> yes, we do. They came into our area. Oh, good for you. There's job creation. Yes, it is. Taxation. Employee tax. <laughs> yep. A little bit of everything. So you work closely with uh, 911. How's that going? Is is there room for improvement there or do they do a great job? Or? Well, this is, um, they were under the mindset of the county, right? And for a a while and so in other words the county was their overseer of their budget and hiring practices and they um eliminated they left them they're still part of the county but they don't uh, their budget doesn't go through the county anymore and they can hire it straight in just because it's um easier for them it took in order to get hired through the county you had to go through a process and it took longer for that 911 to get employees so i think because they left the county and is a separate entity with their budget and hiring practices. I think that's a plus. But uh, there's a few things coming around the horizon that they've got some property, not property, um, equipment that they need to update and make it more modern. And it's going to be costly. And it's going to be a possible something on a a tax levy kind of thing. And so it might hit the citizens of Kitsap County. Um, It's not official yet, but they are looking in ways to try to figure out how to fund um, updating their outdated equipment. Do you think there's ever a chance that artificial intelligence leaks into the 911 system? Um, I want to say no. Um, they've got strong security in place, and they've got a great IT uh, department. But, you know, uh, me saying no is very, you know, when just like, our elections, I'm saying no because maybe that's a naivety of my part, but it's it's happening. <laughs> I mean, just... Uh, Anything can happen. Yes. Just um, the 2020 census is a good example. I'm the coordinator for Kids Up County to do education outreach for the census. You still need more people working on that, right? We do. How can people get involved with that? They can go to the U.S. Census 2020 uh website and they're hiring Kitsap County. It's 19 to $20 an hour and it's going to be at least promised eight weeks of work and it's extra money for if somebody's on disability or social security, you're not going to lose any of your benefits from that. But a good example with the census is we developed a website um, 
for the organizations to go for resources and information for the census. And um, the IT guy that's managing it has found that Russia and China were trying to get into to the network, system, yeah. yeah, the system. And he showed us an email that had Russia four times and China two times. And I was intrigued to see that, that we were getting hit because it's just, and I think because of the word census, they were trying to get into that one. So I say no, but it's happening. Wow. So do you think, uh, so what does that pertain? Is that phone banking, knocking on doors? What does that job look like for well, entry-level census taker? Well, my job right now is education outreach because the new changes that are happening. And then there's another part is recruitment. And um, what that looks like is an individual they're going to be doorbelling because they're not doorbelling for the very first part of this. It's all online. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to do doorbelling until you do not respond online. And so then they're going to be knocking on the doors. They're going to have people do the census. Um, they're going to hit communities that haven't been, haven't done it yet. And so their, their job hopefully is going to be lesser to a degree if we can get more people doing it online. Otherwise, and I keep telling people, if you don't want to open your door to a stranger, then do self-responding online. Sounds like a perfect perfect job for a college kid. Uh, college kids, uh, someone on disability that wants some extra pocket money, um, someone you can whoa, pick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that term? Extra money? I've never heard of that. <laughs> well, if you're on a fixed income, let's put oh, okay. it that way. If you're on a fixed income and you only get so much a month. It's additional. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, additional. And so extra. you can- Extra. Get out of here with this Extra. <laughs> Ain't nobody got extra money. <laughs> well, you know, but it's um it's a great opportunity for those college kids. It's a great opportunity for someone who is on disability and just want to earn some extra money. Um, there you, you go with it again. Oh, sorry. Additional money. Additional money. Additional money. Or um, it's a great opportunity. You get to pick the hours you want to work. If you want to just do Saturday, you can work Saturday. If you want to only do Monday through Friday from five to eight, you can pick the hours. You're your own. Beautiful. You're your own boss per se. Um, you have to knock on the doors, but it's not a thing that if you're uncomfortable with or it's a scary situation, then you don't have to do it. You report it to your supervisor, and your supervisor will be the one to follow through on that. So we want to try not to scare people away because it's door knocking. Um, there's opportunities to do this and still have, you know, like a partner walk with you or someone else take this home because it's a scary area. Yeah, you'd be turned away as a Jehovah Witness if you have a partner, though, right? <laughs> no disrespect to him. <laughs> so what is, what is your platform running for the 23rd District? Well, I am running. Thank you for asking. I am running for the 23rd. Um, my platform is I'm running under experience. I'm running under four terms on city council. Um, I've sat on every committee on city council, and I currently sit on a bunch of committees now. Um, so my platform is I'm running under experience, a person of color, a female. Um, and What does that mean in your campaign, uh, female person of color? We do not have enough women elected in office. So my push is to promote that I'm a female. And we do not have enough people of color in office as well. And when I say people of color, our mindset is sometimes a little bit different. We've seen um, hard times. You know, I I was homeless at a short period of my life. Um, I've had struggles. And so I can relate to the individual that's struggling where 
um, some families that aren't people of color uh, don't have those challenges. And so the person of color is a, a strong thing because I've always been one who identifies who I am and I'm a Filipino and I want people to know it. And I just want, you know, we don't have enough Filipino leaders out there. And so I just want to push my heritage, my uh, my experience into the campaign. I want to bring my experience of being um, working with affordable housing and transportation to, and I worked at schools and bringing education as some of the topics of discussion. Why do you think... Um the teachers still continue to get a, such a raw deal when everybody acknowledges that we need to pay our teachers more? Because our teachers are under unions, and so sometimes I think they're just not as opinionated. Is the union underserving them and being too conservative? You know, and I don't want to say the unions. It just depends on the district. You know, sometimes some... Unions are a little bit more quieter than others, and some are a little bit more, I guess, and I want to say your leadership, right? Your leadership's Mm going to... Starts from the top down. And so the leadership of that particular union organization, if they're just status quo, they're going to go status quo. But if they want to see change, they're going to be that voice and make change. And so, um, and we have so many teachers. I think a lot of people don't see the actual work they do unless they're in that building, and so that's the other hard part is, is you don't see, unless you're in that building every day, you don't see the work that they do. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times their job seems unappreciative. And so it's not one that people push for. I, You know, like, you know, when I talk unions, our fire departments have strong unions. They're at Olympia a lot, right? They're always fighting for issues of concerns. Um, and I know the teachers have a strong unions as well. Um but not as heavily populating Olympia as they should, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, it's the the McCleary Act, even though they finalized paperwork with the teachers and gave them raises, um, this is going to be, there's going to be some future outcomes from this that could affect future schooling funding. Yeah, I would think just on the on the surface level, the idea of supporting teachers is smart for everyone. It's kind of like going to the gym, you know, as opposed to going to the hospital. Hey, how about we do some preventive stuff? How about we keep some kids in school? How about we make this an incentivized job for teachers that continues to grow for every year that they put in and every effort that they put in? I am all in favor of supporting our teachers. And I've worked in schools um, and we have so many families, you know, young parents, young teenage families that are having kids, you know not experienced in their parenting, some families that are struggling with kids um, in their life financially or whatever the case. And some of our kids are a little bit challenging. And a lot of people think that teachers are babysitters, you know, and when you're babysitting a child, um, it's hard to educate them, right? And if you're babysitting a child that's throwing things in the room, you can't educate the other 29 students in the room. Speaking of free child care, when are we going to get uh, free pre-K? Free pre-K? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I know kindergarten's free right now. Yeah? Okay. Well, you know, and and Head Start is, for, you know, based on income. And so they do have some, but 
Do you think it's a good idea to do pre-K? I think so. I think birth to uh, graduation and college is important and vital as far as starting educating kids. And so I think birth on up is a important issue in education with kids. All right. What, uh, what other things do we need to touch on about the type of things and desires that you have going forward for this position? Well, I'm, I'm excited because I love the work I'm doing with the city, and I'm excited with some of the projects we've moved forward, and I want to be able to um, move some of that positive change in, in the state as well and doing some great things for our state and representing the 23rd. So I'm just excited about some of the things like we did, you know, City of Bremerton did the plastic bag ordinance. Um, the state hasn't isn't there yet. You know, they were going to vote on it last year. They didn't vote on it. They, I think it's on a docket this year. I don't know if they finalized it yet. You know, so it's one of those kind of things that the other thing I want to push for is local government too. But it's one of those things that um, we need to remember to start moving these projects in a statewide manner. You know, granted, Kissap County is now plastic bag free, um, but... So many other. But they're not plastic free. There's so many other. That is true. That is true. I think King County is a lot more advanced than we are in that part. Mm-hmm. They don't do the plastic wear anymore or the plastic straws. So yeah, we aren't plastic free. That we're is not a reuse uh, no. society. No, not yet. And so there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, when you look at that as an example, plastic, that's not even a discussion, you know. And it should be. It's those kind of discussions that we need to start having. Yeah. What about food waste compost? That's a hot topic. They're trying to, uh, Avatera is the company that is trying to put a food waste composting facility on a sand mine that is run by um, the state right now on top of an aquifer on the island here. The aquifer is about 260 uh, feet down. The idea is to put this commercial um vessel there that you could just drive through and drop off your food waste and then return the organic matter to the island. There's less compost or less carbon footprint because composting would be used for city projects and that reclaiming of that sand mine land. Um, But there's no zoning for such a structure anywhere on the island. And I'm sure that the zoning is not forward thinking the rest of the peninsula either. Um, I know a restaurant got a temporary zoning here, the Harbor House Pub, and they spent a year of using all the food scraps from the restaurant that people returned in and eat. They put it in that composter. I know the high school has one of the biggest um, composters around. I'd like to see that that conversation continue to escalate. Well, and compost is an interesting subject. They were doing um, compost in the school districts at Bremerton, and they were doing really well as far as separating the compost and the trash and mm-hmm. different garbage cans. But it's not a big a big deal yet. And it's I not say, a talking point. No, and I say that because the reason why the school district's not doing anymore you're paying someone to pick up the compost that's going to be recycled. So it became more of a costly matter. Well, we're paying somebody to take the recycling off the island. We're taking somebody to pay to uh, take the the brush and stuff off the island. Well, and, that, and that's true. But when you look at it in the mindset of um, raising the fees because they're the only one that takes the compost, then that became a problem and then it became a contract that nobody wanted to move forward with. Plus, school funding is tight. Yes, it's exactly. only based on enrollment. 
yeah. number of students. I remember when this whole sin tax started with the tobacco tax and then the gas tax and then the alcohol tax and now the weed tax. And it was first rolled out by the state as this will fund your schools. Well, people didn't know that only if it's chosen to be taken out of the general fund because all that sin tax went into the general fund and then it was up to the, whoever wrote the budget that year to earmark it for public schools. It doesn't go to the schools at all. And the schools make money only by the enrollment taxation. And now you see schools kind of lobbying or recruiting to get more families in there. And Bainbridge is in a unique position where young families can't afford to move here. And it's increasingly getting more and more difficult and for your, pe- people your that are making population's down, right? Yeah, population's yeah. down. And I don't see that changing. I think it drastically changes. You know, let's say you graduate from Bainbridge Island and then you go to school. It's going to be hard for you to come back and start a family here. Exactly. Especially if you're, I mean, if you're like my kids right now, my my daughter is a professor in New York and she's got college debt, right? My son is a, a chef and odd hours, there's no way they'd be able to live and afford Bainbridge Island and nor would they have the desire if they can't afford it. And so that's the other unique thing about that is you're going to lose pop. If you're not going to make it affordable for people to live there, you're going to also make it a disadvantage for anyone wanting to come unless you have money and mm-hmm. it's going to be challenging. So your schools are going to be losing population. Um, Bainbridge Island is a heavy retirement community. So what's that look like for your it's schools? It's not a working environment. There's not a bunch of industries. There's 600 nonprofits all yeah. online. <laughs> yeah. So, but, so when you look at that and if it becomes a retirement community, your schools are going to be jeopardizing in populations regarding that. So, yeah, you guys, Bainbridge Islands needs to look at those future things and, and look at their schools and start looking to the future and how can we make it better for the future. Mm-hmm. Looking at this data, you know, the medium age here on the island is 48, so it's it's a bit older than most cities. In comparison to Kitsap County being 40, median house income in Kitsap County is in a family of about $77,000. Here it's 110 and there's big discrepancy and you guys are just down the road, right? Exactly. So does that start making that a mass exodus to places like Silverdale and Bremerton and Paulsbo and I I know that's... people that work on Bainbridge Island and they live in Paulsbo or all the teachers in the outskirts areas. The, the policemen, my mom's house in Paulsbo, there's a couple of Bainbridge cops that yeah, live there. And it's, I understand, like, sometimes you just don't want to be recognized in the on the island in the grocery store. You want to have the crust in your eyes and go to the grocery store in your, in your pajamas once in a while. But you don't want somebody, hey, 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 Tim. No, stop. Leave me alone. And I could understand a police officer or a council member, not so much a council member, but a, a fireman or a policeman that works in the community to want to get away from the community when their work day is done. But I also understand the desire to, hey, this is, I want somebody that's in my community, that understands my community, that lives in the community, that's my neighbor. That's exactly. My fellow vi- village member. And the people that work at the restaurants and, and the jobs that are here, like the fire and uh, police and school teachers, a lot of those people aren't my neighbors. You yeah. know, and we talk about identifying with with people, you know, of our, of our village. 
and it's hard to identify when they're outsiders. Yeah, it and it's and it's going to be a future. It's a look that Bainbridge Island needs to look at because it's going to affect population growth. It's going to pop, affect dollars coming into your community. I mean, like the census right now. <clears throat> excuse me. Mm-hmm. You get two thousand nine hundred dollars per person that comes in from the census to your community. Right. If you lose a hundred people out of Bainbridge Island, that's two hundred ninety thousand dollars that Bainbridge Island is losing. So when we do the census and everybody's living in Boswell <coughs> and not Bainbridge Island, Boswell's gonna get that funding and Bainbridge Island's not. So definitely need to look at <coughs> excuse me. This is real life. Yeah, it is definitely people cough. <laughs> so it, it's it's definitely a a thing to look at because it is affecting, you know, um, People, just the normal middle class family that wants to just live here mm-hmm. or do anything in this area. So, and the one thing about those area incomes, it affects Bremberton in a way. We have to look at many things regarding area medium income. Mm-hmm. And it's based on Kitsap County's area medium income. I know for a fact Bremerton is probably about 60,000 area medium income. So, we have a lot of many, many families that are lower income and middle class where Bainbridge Island has a higher uh, income. And so when you look at that, it brings that area medium income higher. And so then we always have to relook at it at what affordable housing is. So Mm -hmm. this affects how we look in numbers of affordability as far as our area medium income, receiving dollars into our community. So yeah, Bainbridge Island has some challenges. And um, Mm -hmm. I think the residents need to start holding them to the fire um, and and speak up on these issues because yes. our our goal is to make our communities a better place for the future. Um, and ten down ten years down the road, Bainbridge Island's going to have big big concerns. Yeah, and you know, look at the licensing tab going to thirty dollars, and what type of impact tax wise? Not this year, but next year, the effect it will have on. You know, our infrastructure, our ability to do things, and our long-term savings for, you know, exactly any type of disaster. Well, and that I-976, even though the voters voted for it, right, um, the city of Bremerton is losing $70,000 in revenue. Kitsap Transit's losing $3 million in revenue. We've budgeted, and I say we, the jurisdictions and transit, have budgeted for this year. Um, so projects are moving forward regarding that. Um mm-hmm. But future projects, you know, we're fixing roads. This is what the car tab was doing. Um, that's something that the state doesn't give us a lot of money on. And so we're using, finding creative ways to fix our roads. And now we've got to find another option. Is it going to be a tax to the citizen? So now we're taking this dollars away from the communities to fix our roads. But now we're going to tax our citizens to try to balance that funding that we lost. So... Maybe each citizen has that's a homeowner has to take care of the easement in front of their uh, property to the width of the property and say, hey, that public road in front of your house, that little strip of your land is an easement and you're responsible for taking care of it. And if not, there will be X amount of fines that continue and interests on top of that. But- well, City of Bremerton looked at that kind of zoning. Get out, really? Yeah. And the reason we took we are responsible for it. It used to be part of the citizens' responsibility, but they never maintained it because nobody ever thought it was their responsibility. Mm-hmm. And Hard then, to reinforce, too. Yeah, and to fix that 
structure outside your house is a costly venture. And a lot of residents couldn't afford it, so then the roads would get deteriorated. So we took that project back under our belt and, um, you know, funding it ourselves. Yeah. You know, because you can't can't hold the citizen accountable for a piece of easement that's the city's to fix. And if they don't have the funding, the last thing they're going to do is fix the street if they have to put food on their, you know, their tables. So, So it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting how it's going to affect us. I mean— Transit's losing $3 million. Um, we know that there's going to be a transfer station in Silverdale, but we know we're going to move forward with it, but maybe delay it now, mm-hmm. right? Because the funding's missing. So a lot of projects are going to be delayed or put on a holding list. They're not being um, removed completely. They're just on a bottom of the list kind of thing now. We just recently suffered a delay that... Most islanders are ecstatic about <laughs> the most expensive roundabout in in America's history was about to go in on Day Road and 305. And then we have uh, land trust property on one side, and then you have the critical area ordinance. Then you have the scenic drive through uh, there. And then how do you deal with the water, stormwater? You know, and then how do you extend the roundabout into the the four corners of the property that are basically just a ravine off the road. Oh, gee, right. So yeah. you have to. So I can't even imagine how much money we spent thinking about this. But of course, this is like a state project, I believe. Um, but Islanders are clapping for that one. Like, you know, nobody knows how to use a roundabout. They're dangerous, and why would you put it on the the fastest road? So there's it's, a lot. It's supposed to uh, slow traffic down. They and they put them in areas where there's higher risk of ask accidents that have happened, and roundabouts tend to slow traffic down. Yeah, that's it, the mindset of a roundabout. There's a lot of mindsets I found out about roundabouts. So there's a Suzuki property near um, the schools here too, and there's a lot of traffic on Sportsman Club, an, another main arterial. And when we had traffic studies in the past, we picked out three places where roundabouts should go in, and one is right next to the school. And everybody's worried about the kids' safety because it's very pedestrian-heavy, yep. and uh, there's not much sidewalk, or not a sidewalk even, but not much shoulder there. So how would that affect? So everybody's thinking that's very, very dangerous. But I kind of see it differently. There's a the roundabout by the high school that everybody bitched and complained about. But that does slow things down. I just want it as illuminated as possible. I want four lights on the corners. I want uh, the reflecting in the crosswalk to be um, triggered by a kid walking through there. Yeah, Because exactly. yeah, we get a lot of fog and maritime mist. And, you know, we have shade and we've got gray in the rainy season. And then, you know, we hit the sun when we come up over the hills. So does the school have – I drove by it. So does it have a lot of sidewalks around the – it does Some trails. Yeah. See, I'm thinking there's grants out there. There's um, safe routes to schools that mm-hmm. help put sidewalks in in front of schools so it's safe for kids. Putting crosswalks in. We've done that many times with our schools in the city. And given us this – that grant has given us money to put those sidewalks and crosswalks in and making those particular areas safe for our children and – I mean, that's even an option that the city might even look into. I'm not even sure they even looked in that. Shout out to Leslie Snyder, Mayor. We look into, into that. I know you're listening. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, so there, there's options. But yes, I do, you know, I firmly believe and I see it. Roundabouts are costly. Any construction project's costly these days. Um, it's interesting. You have to put it through a study first and then you have to, you know, public comment and then find the fund. You, so you're paying for that study, but those dollars don't even put the construction dollars into place yet. And so then you get construction and you got to find the funding. So that's all challenging in itself. But roundabouts, Bainbridge Island roundabouts do slow traffic down and do provide safety for children in schools. Yeah. So instead of making that massive thing on 305, I would just like sink all the lights past the casino to get everybody off this rock as fast as possible. <laughs> or onto the ferry as fast as possible to get, go the other way. You know, and there's other traffic calming devices too. You know, you've got lighted crosswalks, those flashing speeding lights that says you're going too fast. So, you yeah. know, there's other options those that work. are a little bit inexpensive. Especially are, when the police officer is right behind you and the radar's in front of you blinking, slow down. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I got it front and back and they do help. So, I mean, there's other options out there. Hey, well, can, will you come and uh, visit me more on the island? And I would love to. I love this. This has been fun. Yeah. And we can talk more. And as projects develop and as your campaign carries on, you, you're welcome to come talk to the people. I would love to do that. I would love to come talk to you also. Maybe think about it. Put something on your calendar regarding the Kitsap County Census. Yeah. Oh, you know, this is a a place of reach. So, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you more about it, hoping that there's somebody in that demographic and that has that opportunity. You know, you just got a, a free recruiter right there in this yeah. episode. And I love to do things that call people into action to help. Yep. And the census, and if I could close with anything with the census, it's all online. It's totally new. Um and when you think of online, it affects our elderly population that doesn't do technology. Correct. It affects our low income who might not have Wi-Fi or computers. You know, um, you're going to get a letter in the mail, and it's going to tell you to do it online. Um, you're going to get a postcard in the mail. You're going to get another letter, and then do it online. And if not, they come knocking on your door. Yeah, I forgot one year, or I just put it off, or just didn't care, or something. And then all of a sudden, I got this knock, 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 knock. And I was like, what? And they're like, you're going to sit down and you're going to do the census right now. Yep. And so if you don't want them knocking on your door, do the census. But the one thing I will say, I think Bainbridge Island has a bunch too. If you have a post office box, you're not getting a letter in the mail. Mm. So so let's put up a poster at the post office. We are going to try to get home residents that have post office boxes, letters to them. But just know that there's so many barriers and it's hitting a lot of our people. Yeah, hard to reach population. Is. Yep. Now that you've said it out loud, I see a lot of obstacles. Yeah. And it's hard to collect. That's why um, I'm the education outreach, because our goal is to educate everybody in the, on Kitsap County about the barriers regarding the census. And we have families that are scared and in hiding. They're mm-hmm. not gonna, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to open the door. They're not going to afraid their information is going to be sold to ICE, which it's not. All their information is confidential. But again, you know, that's... We had some ice raids here on the island last year, and yeah, people were upset. Yeah, and we had, you know, scares. Well, we had them in Port Orchard and scares that they were in ba- in Bremerton. Last quick question. Okay. The district that, the 23rd Legislative District, can you tell me the parameters? Does it go all the way like Port Gamble and out that way? So the parameters are um, from Warren Avenue Bridge, 
which is the East Bremerton area, uh, Silverdale, Paulsville, Kingston, Suquamish, Bainbridge Island, Hansville, um, Port Gamble, all the areas up north, um, not Seabeck. Not Ch- Chimican and- or uh, Chimica. Chimicum or Port Angeles or no, that is a that different stuff. county. Okay, I mean different legislative district. Gotcha. Congressional, it's not legislative district. It ends at the Hood Canal Bridge. Awesome. And um, do you ever work with Hillary Franz at all? I have. Well, not personally. I've I've been to a lot of her campaign events and had her speak at a few things that I've been to. Yeah, I just brought that up because I was thinking about the firemen, and she does a good job of. Um, supporting the firemen and i think the firemen do a good job of arguing for resources for the people that will need them not just for pay for them and i think that's why it might be a little bit of a different argument between the union for a teacher versus firefighter oh yeah the firefighters coming at it from multiple perspectives yeah there's is um looking at it safety they're looking at it um you know codes um and then in the teachers you know a lot of their time is to teach a student curriculum, but when you've got disruption in classroom and statewide, we can't even suspend kids very much anymore. You know, so that kid, unless it's a weapon, of course, but if they do something inappropriate in school, then they are in school, and so then that babysitter thing becomes another option. They're sitting in school, and what do we do with that student because they disrupted school, and so they have to sit in in school suspension. Well, they used to beat me in kid, in school back in the day. Maybe we I go will, back to that. I will not highlight that as an <laughs> option. <laughs> it might have worked for you, but it I didn't. Don't. It doesn't work for anybody. Don't hit your kids. <laughs> I agree. Don't hit kids. Leslie, nice to meet you. Nice meeting you as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, I hope to uh, get out on the soccer field to kick you in the shins a couple times and vice versa. Well, then I'll be glad to knock you down. Nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the bystander.